0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. The first 12 months of a baby's life are a time of remarkable development from the tiny newborn to, in many cases, a walking, almost talking toddler. Nicola Williston is a mother of four, a trained early childhood teacher and also the team leader of Starship Hospital's play specialists. She says she's often peppered with questions from people, Who have had little to no contact with babies until they actually become parents themselves. Her immediate response is don't get caught up trying to be the perfect mum or dad. She has a book out now, Nurturing Your Baby's Potential from Birth to 12 Months. It's a guide from parents. Nicola is with us in Auckland. Good morning.
2: good morning Catherine thank you for having me
1: it's a good piece of advice to begin with don't try to be perfect but there are things you can learn before as well as you go through the first year of life parenting the first year of life
2: oh absolutely absolutely I think it's one of those things that um you know even as someone with a lot of experience with kids being a new parent yourself and being caught up in the you know sleep patterns and tiredness and sort of adjusting to new parenthood you know you can it's just easy to lose your footing I guess so um, it's just a bit of encouragement really. Hence the book
1: mm. and with just I'm, I'm really interested in the work that you do with play specialists at t- Starship if we could digress for a moment but that source of your knowledge um, involves what?
2: Um, So I guess for me, I have um, my sort of professional practice started in Canada. I do have a degree in child and youth studies um, and worked in a pediatric hospital in Canada for about a decade before I moved to New Zealand. But a lot of our work is around um, supporting kids' ongoing development while they're in hospital, sort of preventing regression, um, and a lot of preparation and procedural support to try and minimize the anxiety
1: that kids feel and Really important The first year then uh, It's the most it's, it's explosive almost What's happening in that baby's brain isn't it um, Yeah it's, 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 it's frightening it's, <laughs> <laughs> And so navigating that Where do you begin And helping parents I guess understand What's going on Inside that magnificent little um, brain And big brain actually And yeah. what you can do To work with it and nurture it Where do you begin?
2: Yeah, well, I think probably the first thing um, that becomes really quickly apparent is that babies are absolutely born ready to engage. They make eye contact very quickly. They respond to people's voices very quickly, particularly um, recognise their parents' voices and people who've been sort of near and around talking. While well, um, they've been inside while mum's been pregnant, and um, so I think that ability for babies to latch on very, very quickly in those first days. To eye contact and responsive to um, voices and engagement um, sets the scene really and then from that you just take advantage of that really because everything you do and when you respond to them, when you um, you know delight in them, um, stare at them it gives them time to start establishing that relationship with you and um, there's a lot of um, new information coming out about early brain development now but really focusing on that fact that A lot of those connections are formed based on relationships and the responsiveness of caregiving so although there's lots of stuff you can do for individual sides of development that the core of that comes back each time to the relationship.
1: So attention and the eye contact and the noise making and the cuddling all this bonding development and and building confidence in in, in your newborn and and building that connection that's a, a really good place to start. Absolutely, And I
2: think there's a lot, I mean, if you, there's a lot of information coming out about um, sort of early brain development and stress chemicals and all that kind of thing. But the basics is that every time you hold them, touch them, sing to them, talk to them um, in those early days for both mothers and fathers, but particularly for mothers, is that raises the level of oxytocin for both you and the baby. And oxytocin actually decreases the um, cortisol receptors, so those stress chemicals it's harder for them to get a hold on anything. So actually, as you're doing that, you're building up all those feel-good feelings and you're actually minimising the ability to have those stress chemicals in the body. So it's a win-win for both parents and their new baby.
1: What uh, Physically, what is happening for the baby, especially in those very early weeks, newborn first to three months, they never stop moving, do they? <laughs> yes. No, no,
2: they don't. No, one of the things I often talk to new parents about is um, top down and inside out, because um, lots of people are really you know curious about development and they want to understand how to support their babies. But often that becomes a really simple way of saying if we look at babies, particularly even in those first three months, that top down development that they start to gain control from the top of their body through their core and then their legs. So if you think about having a new newborn, you know they're very curled up and they start to stretch out a little bit, but we're always really cautious about supporting their head and their neck. But by the end of three months, generally, babies are getting a bit more stable. They're able to hold their head a bit more stably. And um, If you're holding them upright by their chest, they're often able to center their head and turn and follow things a bit. So that top down and then inside out, basically referring to the fact that kids will um, gain control over their core and their arms before they gain control over their fingers and their hands and the same with their legs so they gain control sort of in a way that's radiating from that core part of their body out towards
1: the periphery. The most stressful sometimes and challenging experiences of the new parent in those early weeks and months is trying to understand what baby's trying to communicate and particularly where crying is, is involved. What's your mm-hmm. advice?
2: Um, well, I think probably the first thing is that actually people get a bit head up about crying. It is the baby's way of communicating. and um, So I guess my first thing is that some crying is really normal. All babies cry part of the time. And that that's okay. I think there's people get a bit concerned about oh, if I leave my baby crying they're, you know, sort of getting a wash in stress chemicals and it's really gonna damage their brain. The reality is yes, un unresponded to crying over long periods of time definitely does that. Um when babies start to cry, I think the initial response by people is to just run through that quick check checklist. If they're communicating with me and that's their means, let's have a quick peek around. Are they overtired? Are they hungry? When was the last time they were fed? Are they wet? Um, you know, Are they uncomfortable? Too hot? Too cold? So it's actually just a way of sort of running through that quick tick box in your head and making sure that you've captured the things that might be an issue before you get worried about anything else.
1: Another matter you address, and again, those very early weeks and months is the ideal time to do it, is what is happening for the parent and what is entirely normal with your emotions and your fatigue and having a good cry yourself from time to time, mm-hmm. and what might you might want to talk to someone about.
2: Yeah, well, I think, well, I think uh, particularly around postnatal depression, there's more information available coming out all the time. I think one of the things is that this is a huge adjustment and I think what I come across again and again is often particularly people who are really capable at their jobs, they're really confident and competent at their in their work life, then they get this new baby that's not perhaps doing what they think it should do or not having the response that they would hope when they've sort of done all the right things like had a nice warm bath and put their jammies on and given them a bottle and they're still crying. Um, I think that throws people because they're used to being really capable. And so I think part of it is actually just to stop and think this is actually a whole new thing. There's a lot of hormones floating around for everyone, which also changes your ability to sort of manage and change and adapt to those things really quickly and that some ups and downs are really, really normal. Um, I think the biggest thing is a good support group. Um, of people around you. So you, you know, whether it's your partner or your mom or your sister or your cousin or your auntie or the people down the road, you find those people who you feel like you can have those conversations with. Um, and if you're really, really struggling, there is great support out there, and it's just a matter of knowing that it's okay to ask for that help.
1: A really good piece of advice you give is that at this stage of your journey, and indeed for a long time, change is the constant. You don't yeah. master parenting by the time your child is three months old, and no. you have to get used to constant new challenges and new experiences and not necessarily knowing straight away what to do. Yeah.
2: yeah, and I think you know, lots of parents that I talk to go, oh, we've nailed it. They're sleeping through the night, they're eating really well, and that lasts, I don't know, two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden they're going... I don't know what happened. We're doing all the same things and they're sleeping they were sleeping through the night and they were doing this and they were doing that, but babies have growth spurts, they have teeth come in, they have immunizations, they've got, you know, new things that they're learning and and they will use quiet times to practice those new skills, and it does disturb their sleep patterns a bit. So I think one of the other things is that as soon as you think you have it figured out, and I have to say having teenagers, I would say that that's an ongoing issue way past three months. Um, but every time you think you've got it nutted, it's you know, a little
1: curveball here and there. Midlife, you haven't got it nutted. There'll be there'll be a fresh onslaught uh, yeah, about that. But better that time. with change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, three month olds don't need Baby Einstein, but they do need some play. And what is play to them? This, the the purpose of it, and the way of doing it.
2: Yeah. So I think for me, there's two really important messages here. One is that playing with your baby is a fantastic way to build your relationship, you gain that sense of trust, you become their person, um, which actually means that down the track when they feel like they've got that really confident connection with someone, it gives them the confidence to move slightly away from you to do a bit of exploring on their own. And So I think that playing with is absolutely essential the one thing that I'm really having to talk to people a lot about is that it's actually okay for babies to play by themselves. So it's not necessary for them to have all of the equipment or be entertained all of the time. It's it's just not sustainable, and it's actually not good for either of you to be in that position. Um, But babies actually need time to be able to stretch and explore their own sense of space and move around on the floor and wave their arms and knock about and, you know, have that opportunity just to be because that's how they learn how their body
1: works. They're just working it all out. Three months to six months, we start to see uh, development, as you were saying, it's not just about the ability to to sit up and and that, uh, what did you say, top-down physical development. We start to get a bit more movement about the place happening and also changes with noises and communication. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I think babies at that age often find that parents say, this is the baby I thought I was going to get. You know, when you picture having a baby, you sort of picture these engaging interactions and squeals and giggles, and actually then you get this sort of crumpled-up newborn that doesn't sort of do too much, and you're thinking, oh, that's not, I wasn't picturing this part. So often I think this, this three- to six-month period is the part that people really have in their head when they picture themselves with a new baby. Um, they're absolutely delightful, hugely responsive. Um yeah, they're just gorgeous, and they have—they are very free and easy at that point. They'll often laugh and smile for lots of people. Um, towards the end of that period, you may find that they're getting a bit more careful about who they share those special grins with, um, And but that's actually just showing that they're starting to develop that understanding of that primary relationship that they have with their core people, their core whanau, and those are the people that become sort of... The people that they enjoy the really free and easy interactions with
1: at some point and it can be any number of points along this journey uh, someone or both partners might be uh, going back to work and is that often uh, a stress time trying to sort out caregiving
2: certainly is yeah it really is and i think probably almost has become more so i would say in this last sort of generation for two reasons one that not necessarily does everybody have their family community around them anymore. It used to be, you know, if you didn't move too far from home you might have a sister or a cousin or a mum who's helping out with childcare in those early days. And um, lots of people don't have that anymore. We've got really nuclear families who've sort of moved away from um, you know, our core family group. So that, that level of family support's not always available. Um and then the other side of that, I think that causes people some stresses, you know, that a lot of this research that's coming out that says the relationships are so important and the brain development in the first three years are so important and you have to make the decision to go back to work, or if you don't have that choice, if it's not really a decision, it's just that you do have to, then that can make people feel like they're potentially putting their child at risk or not doing the best thing for their baby.
1: How do you how do you help people navigate those yeah, kinds so, of stresses?
2: So I think the biggest thing for me is the research does indicate that those primary relationships are core to sort of long-term learning and well-being. But because your baby is in care doesn't mean that you lose that. So I think the biggest thing for me is if we're talking about childcare, think about it from a perspective of relationships. So not necessarily do you need to find the flashiest child care center with all the most amazing things. Um, that Actually, it's about if you keep the relationship as the core, then when you talk to people, you look, you know, are they responsive to babies in their center or if you're doing home care or, you know, there's so many different options for child care. And it's a matter of finding something, A, that you're comfortable with and B, somewhere where you can see that there's genuine care and interest provided for your baby because that will still allow them to develop trusting relationships and that's that's where the good brain development comes
1: from. Between 6 months and 12 months, we are getting more mobile and babies come up with interesting ways of doing this sometimes. <laughs> um, is there any particular perfect developmental order for their locomotion or is, is it a case of them finding what works and that's fine?
2: Yeah, I think I think we're worrying a little less about that these days. I think um, if people are worried about crawling and walking, the best thing that they can do for their baby is tummy time, because we spend a lot of time with babies in things now. They're in their on their back in their bed, which we absolutely have to stick to because it does really reduce the incidence of sudden infant death syndrome. But we've got babies on their back to sleep. We've got babies in their stroller or their pushchair and their back. They're in their on their backs and in car seats so I think there's just lots of things where for safety's sake that's where they need to be but does mean that we need to equal that out with a bit of tummy time because that helps build those muscles for crawling and walking that we see down the track and most babies will find some way of moving towards what they're interested in there's just an innate drive so we don't always need to encourage that I think babies find their way to that at the right time um, and if you're concerned that they're not typically crawling um, and they're bum-shuffling instead, then all it means is you spend a bit more time doing some of those cross-body activities so you can, you know, clap their hands and their foot together on opposite sides um, and make that part of the games that you play and that will help even out some of those experiences.
1: You make the very valid point. There's few, uh, there are a few adults who bum-shuffled as infants who aren't walking now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, nobody's coming into work like that that I've seen in the
1: last while. I recall uh, one infant I'm familiar with whose first efforts to stand up Resulted from putting the head on the ground and pushing up that way, which was novel, uh, but worked fine.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, I think babies would make excellent yoga instructors, but they certainly managed to get themselves into some very interesting positions. And I don't know if you've ever tried to copy some of their (laughs) airplane moves or their downward dog, but they actually have a ridiculously strong core. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I don't think I could get up by putting my head on the floor. (laughs) No. Do people worry sometimes if, if uh, they've got uh, a, a late walker? Say, so, is there any such thing as a late walker?
2: Yeah, well, I think I, there's a bit of a struggle, isn't it? What becomes normal and also normal in your sort of circle of people becomes really a point of reference for people. So people talk a lot about first steps and first words at, at one year. Um, I know everybody in my coffee group just about fell over when my daughter at eight months old was holding onto the coffee table and turned around and walked away. And they were all saying, oh, you must, because, you know, you work with children and you're into development and that's why she's so advanced. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a disaster because although she's got the physical skills to do it, she hasn't got the brain capacity to actually work out the space. And she had for about three months a bruise across the top of her forehead because she's forever walking into the kitchen table. So there are... There aren't advantages in that sense to walking early, specifically, but certainly um, you know, if you're looking at the overall averages, they're hugely wide. Like you can have a child who doesn't walk until they're almost two and that's still okay as long as they're doing everything else normally and you're noticing that they're using both sides of their body the same and they're progressing in all other ways, then it may be that they're focused on that area of development and walking will come the same as kids who don't speak a lot but are absolutely adept at putting shapes into a a shape sorter, or um, you know can run at the speed of light and can balance on a balance beam but might not be saying very much. Kids do sort of fly ahead and have growth spurts in different areas of development at different times.
1: They're just doing their thing aren't they? (laughs) Uh, with the mobility, this is when you begin to think practically. You mentioned the you know, sort of the guilt that parents wear when there's bruises, because when people start moving around, they start crashing into things. And this is when you need to start to think practically about the environment.
2: Yes. Easiest the easiest way to baby proof, honestly, is to take your phone or a camera and have a wander around with it knee height.
1: Good plan.
2: Because you get a very different perspective of what's actually accessible and available.
1: And attractive,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah the social brain again, how is that changing towards the ends of the the, the the first year of life? We begin with that eye contact and the yeah. um, the very very personal and intimate seeking of connection. What should you be be expecting later in that first year more social interaction with more people
2: yeah, so well. Different for different kids, that's a bit personality dependent, but I think the biggest thing in terms of overall learning that I'd be looking for at that stage is what we call joint attention because that facilitates all sorts of learning. So that would be like when you've got um, a mum and a baby perhaps sharing, reading a book, and you can see that mum's pointing to things and the baby's looking at mum, looking at the book, looking at mum, looking at the book. So you've actually got a shared point of reference. And that allows you to then name things, label things. So it might be a cow in the book, and the mum might say, a cow says moo. And the baby looks back at the cow, and the mum says, yes, a cow says moo, moo says a cow. So then the baby starts connecting those things that that's a cow, the cow says moo, and he's looking back and getting that reassurance. And, and if he makes any noise towards sounding like moo, that gets celebrated. And so that's how you then get a lot of um, sort of verbal Um, development and um, sort of whether spoken or sort of known vocabulary.
1: I'm not sure that anybody can be prepared but you can do some things to kind of prepare yourself. I mean attitude wise and emotionally wise for what you're about to go through. I've got one emailer saying um, she and her husband became parents of, of IVF twins and at, at the age of 37 and their mantra was the first few weeks were going to be absolute shite and any time it was anything else that was a bonus. But you don't want to get yourself into too negative an expectation either, do you? Is there, a, is there a, or are there a couple of messages you can you can give to people that yes it's going to be a ride but you can do it uh, yeah. and, and what's the most you know common message you'll give people?
2: Look, I always say to people, if you do most of things right, most of the time, and forgive yourself the rest, then you'll have a brilliant time.
1: And enjoy it in between yeah. the stressful bits because oh, it goes honestly. fast, right?
2: Yeah. It goes very very quickly. We were yeah, we were having that discussion earlier here just how fast that changes, you know, from this sort of small bundle of potential to walking, talking, exploring and I think there are things around that that, you know, we we celebrate first words, we celebrate first steps. But if you see your baby starting to move rattles from one hand to the other or they start, um, you know, giggling or laughing when they see their sibling pretending to fall down or they turn their head away when you come at them with a cloth to wipe their face, all of those are really visible signs of what's going on in that little mind of theirs that they're making all of those myriad of
1: connections Nicola thank you Nicola Wollaston, Nurturing Your Baby's Potential from Birth to 12 Months is her book published by Potten and Burton don't forget you can access our parenting segments on podcast, you can subscribe on podcasts by going to the RNZ series and podcast page, it's called It Takes a Village There's a big archive available also on the Nine to Noon webpage. Uh, One of our very popular and regular parenting commentators, Nathan Wallace, was with us last week. I forgot to mention he's got an event coming up in Porirua in Wellington tonight at the uh, Te Arena. Uh, All about his expertise, of course, in understanding uh, your brain and your child's brain. It is a uh, ticketed event, a pay-for event. But that is happening uh, tonight if you are interested. Quick Google will get you there, I'm sure, as to where to get tickets from. A lot
0: can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.